Hello and welcome to this edition of Finance and Technology Insights. I'm Brian Williams. I'm Eric Bjorndorf. How's it going, Brian? Going pretty well. How about you? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. We allergies are wreaking havoc in my house. Everyone is just completely, uh, out of, not completely out of commission, but just suffering from the seasonal allergies. Is it something specific, or just everything's uh, in the air? Uh, it's hard to say. You know, allergy allergy ailments are so seemingly nebulous you know my my mm. older daughter took yesterday off from school she's got the pressure and the fog and my dad's got brain fog and my wife's all foggy i'm foggy it's it's kind of uh it's always every single year we go through this and i and I, it's always surprising that um we're like are we, is this is this viral are we are we sick or is this mm. just is this really just allergies so anyways that's what we're going through over here what's going on with you um, we've actually been pretty lucky on that, on that side. We, for those people listening out of the area, we've got a ton of rain the last, uh, last week or so. Um, but, uh, we've, we've been outside as much as we could be and, uh, luckily haven't had any issues. I feel like my wife had more allergy issues before she met me. Now they're kind of going away. I've never really had a problem with it and knock on wood, my son hasn't yet, but, feel like that's something that creeps in as you get older for a lot of people. And that, that's what makes it hard to believe that it's mm-hmm. allergies. I think sometimes when you're like, oh, I feel achy and foggy and sore throat. And you're like, oh, this, I'm, I'm sick. But it's really, I think, not viral. It's just allergies. Yeah. The uh, At my son's fifth uh, birthday was, uh, was Saturday. So he's... Uh, got to have the day and the party on the same day. I know that's always a big deal when you're when you're a kid unless you're trying to string it out, but uh he, he Luke's fifth birthday was Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, that ha- that came fast. Yep. So he's uh we did the jump park on uh, trampoline park locally on Saturday morning and then we did a little bit of a family thing in the afternoon and we uh Strung out the the cake lasted a few days. My wife made two cakes, one for the party and then one for home, both pink dinosaur cakes, which is what he asked for for the second year <laughs> in a row, believe it or not. So um, every time we have cake at a meal, we just throw the candle back on and sing to him again. So we'll sing happy day after your birthday to you. Um, so he, he got a kick out of that. So And then he stayed home yesterday from school Monday to get a little extra day with his uh grandmother that's here so that was pretty exciting oh very exciting very exciting so uh we, you uh, going to the news what's going on oh i was gonna say we got lucky with the rain on saturday because he had his team photos for baseball on saturday which he wouldn't have been able to go to so we were quietly praying for all that stuff to get rained out and it was so we got lucky there oh that's right so he didn't get any he didn't get any t-balls or uh little league in this weekend Nope. And that's, that was a good thing. So good. How about so, your family? Anything going, exciting there? Uh, what's going on with us? Um, hmm. It's like asking, what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, what did I do this weekend? <laughs> uh, no, everything, you know, we're, you know, May, we're into May now. So May 2nd. So we're, I feel like we're in this, we're in this, um, 
we're up to speed now for the school year. And I think we're just going to we're we're cruising until we get to June, you know, mid June. Yeah. Um, after after this, this is their last full month of school. So um, I think I guess uh, me and the wife are we're not scrambling. We we have some we have four of the eight summer weeks, full summer weeks uh, allocated for their activities and things. Wow. So um i think we're just kind of trying to fill in the gaps and then i think we're seeing if we're going to take any travel or anything like that are you guys going anywhere besides the lake house this summer i don't i don't think so nothing nothing to um nothing vacationy i guess so my mother-in-law's in florida will probably we actually might take the train down um so if we're going to do that we'll probably stay 10 to 14 days the train um, down to florida I think so. I think we're that's cool. I, I always wanted to take a long train ride. Yeah. So we're going to try to, we might do something uh, kind of a little bit longer first just to get, get the feel for it. So we want to do like a, uh, like a New York to Montreal because that line just that that's called the Adirondack line. And that just opened back up a few weeks ago. So we want to do that and then maybe stay over in Montreal and then, and then come back down. So um got to kind of ease into it with with a youngster um yeah yeah if he if he survives that and does a good job then then maybe we'll try the train to to florida i think he'd get a kick out of that montreal in the summer is really nice yeah that's a fun little city have you ever been up to quebec city i have not nope it's really cool it feels very european like yeah yeah i went up when i went to college in burlington vermont so for my undergrad and um we, I was in ROTC, the Army ROTC program, and yeah. they took they took us out to uh, Quebec City. Quebec City in January is not good. <laughs> no, way too cold up there. Yeah, so. I uh, have a quick funny story about Montreal. I had a uh, so one of my favorite players when I was younger was was Tony Gwynn, and he was. Uh, it's a big deal for baseball players to get their three thousand hit. So. I was I was in Connecticut the summer before my senior year. I just kind of kind of stayed here, and uh, one of my buddies lived up in New Hampshire, and he was also a a Tony Gwynn fan. And this was like early in the summer; it was probably like you know June or something. And I was like, hey, you know what? Tony Gwynn is going to play in Montreal in August, and you know if he averages like one point two hits a game or whatever. And I had it all like kind of mathed out, and he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, we'll go, whatever. And it got really close, and it ended up happening. And uh, I picked him up like on a, I left Connecticut, picked him up like on a on a Friday, uh, Thursday, left on a Thursday night and picked him up on a Friday. And we went to Montreal and we saw his 3000 hit. It was pretty. Uh, That's pretty cool. cool. Did this does the place go wild on, when that happened? No. Well, normally it does. But that was in the the twilight of Montreal baseball as things are winding down there and their attendance was awful, even for a big event like that. So it was maybe like seven or eight thousand. It was was not oh wow what was, what was yeah, their was, team Met, what's that what was their team called uh montreal expos the expos wow is that team no longer yeah they uh they moved to washington and became the nationals oh i didn't know that i, I remember i have i have some old baseball cards from the 80s with the montreal expos players yeah they had those fun fun uniforms they had good colors they had uh yeah it was like all white with, with that swooshy m or whatever yeah yeah it's funny so they're uh when did they move to washington they moved to washington in 2004. it's been almost 20 years they've been wow nationals yeah so 
anyway, that was kind of interesting. So I wanted to bring up this this company. Have you ever heard of the company Chegg? Chegg. C-H-E-G-G. -G. I don't think so. Can you? I've you... never heard of them either, to be 100% honest with you. But they are. Um, they are. Yeah, so they are. Well, let me pull up this tab. Why not here? Share a screen here. So they, uh, their shares are down big this morning. Um, the shares are down big this morning, and it's uh, shares dropped 40% after company says chat GPT is killing its business. This is a story on holy on cow. Um, so again, sometimes sometimes you worry about people using things as an excuse. Um, you know, it said, um, you know, in the first part of this year, we saw no noticeable impact from chat GPT on the new growth. We're meeting expectations. However, since March, we saw significant spike in student interest in ChatGBT. We now believe it's having an impact on our customer growth rate. Um, so this is a company that provides homework assistance, online tutoring, um, and they're down 48% today. So, wow. you know, this. I think this is one of those things, uh, like a canary in the coal mine type thing. But, you know, when people talk about... We're in an interesting time right now because you've got you've got big tech doing doing some layoffs and and it's hard to really figure out whether that is due to economic forecasting. A lot of them overhired during the pandemic, or if it's related to some of this automation stuff. And and like everything, it's probably a combination of of all of that kind of stuff. But um, I think more and more we're we're starting to see some of this. Um, maybe it's poor companies just blaming you know, chap GPT and, and other automations on some, on I mean, if my company things. fails, I'm definitely going to blame it on AI. Yeah. I mean, if we don't get our subscribers up to a hundred by the end of the year, we definitely <laughs> have to blame AI. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's, um, I thought that was kind of interesting because I think we're going to see one or two of these every day where somebody, where somebody blames, blames uh, AI or at least for, for layoffs or maybe, um, you know, you probably see the other side of it too, where, It'll be interesting to see how companies address the fact that they've that they become more profitable with less fewer employees um, based on automation. We haven't quite heard that saying directly yet in some of these earnings calls, but but it's bound to happen, right? Yeah, I, I posted some articles on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash finance and technology insights all spelled out. Um and did I get the, oh, I didn't post it. You know, I was reading about it and then I just must not have posted it. So I have two AI articles that I was going to bring up. One, Samsung, there uh, there was a leaked internal memo to, to the employees of Samsung, which is not a small company. And the leadership there is demanding that the staff do not use chat GPT or AI technologies on their computers because they pose a security risk. So I don't know. I think you're going to see, I think we already are seeing that also like, you know, um, shares dropping and, be, and companies being blamed for AI but now security issues are going to be blamed on, on AI. And, and I'm not saying they lack merit, but it, it seems a little early to, to, uh, to, it's like that when the schools last month, you know, you saw a rash of schools uh, block 
chat GPT from campus, right? Right, right. Um, Bloomberg had a story that, that Samsung has, has um, you had uh, employees uploading code to chat GPT and saying, you know, fix this or streamline this code. So, you know, when I first heard that it was a potential security thing, I said, oh, well, does opening up a window into chat GPT, does that expose your company to in incoming threats? That's initially what I thought, but no, it's actually the other thing that they're concerned about, right. is, you That's know, programmers point. and coders. Do we, but do we know if chat GPT is taking inputs and, um, to grow the data set? Well, that's, that's what we don't know yet. And how much they're, they're obviously to some extent saving prompts and, and saving history. So right. whether they're using that to internalize. You and know. they are asking you if the, if the output was good or bad based on yes. your prompt. So they are, they are somehow taking weighted answers like that but yeah it's interesting i guess if you upload corporate you know information and ask for a response or a, a processing of it yeah that could definitely be a problem i guess i presume that they would they the the creators of artificial intelligence might not want to do that you know because don't forget they have an imperative to uh i hate to say this but like do no evil you know what i mean like right. the, the this the first sign of malfeasance from these guys they they're they're gonna you know the regulators will act overnight or something um i mean there's certainly a groundswell underneath ai as as far as like um regulating and and limiting and the call to shut it down and delay and things like that so um they you know, they have an imperative to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Unless, unless there's the, they have the hubris of the idea that they won't be, they won't be found or they won't be figured out like, oh, here's some people uploading some, some Samsung sensitive code. Let's take this, let's bury it in our language learning, but just try to prevent it from being called back, you know? Um, yeah. Like anonymizing it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Just there learning. will be, well, let's put it this way. There will be mistakes made for sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Will the pitchforks and torches come out will, will remain to be seen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fascinated by what the content creators and your, your wall street journals and Bloomberg's and New York times, how they handle this kind of stuff. Because if everybody, if everybody blocks their data from being scrubbed by artificial intelligence, then artificial intelligence may not be that intelligent if it's not pulling up some current current information. So I'm curious to see what kind of licensing deals or whatever kind of comes from it, or if we just end up having these individual companies run their own, which we've talked about before, you know, New York Times, GPT, and then you're, you know, hey, New York Times, what are the top five biggest stories this week in Connecticut type of thing, you know? Yeah. Or I wonder if they could build in like a, um, are you familiar with the incognito mode of your browser? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you, if they just have a user side setting that says, you know, uh, just don't, don't take any of our prompts as uh, a contribution to the data set. Yeah. Um, you know, I something that. like that. I mean, it, it, a corporate, a company, uh, a company version of ChatGPT might be interesting too, where it's where IT centrally administers the 
the platform for its staff. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of where what we do for our for our clients um, and us internally, where you, the whenever there's an online service or software uh, SaaS product or something, mm-hmm. you know, we always look for that like enterprise subscription model where okay, we IT can go in there, register the company, register the account dole out access to users using the company's email address and then taking uh you know central administrative things like never take our prompts as a contribution to to the data set right i mean obviously that's they're still in early days so i'm I'm sure that they may not even be thinking in those terms yet yeah so i had about three questions while you were talking there have you any of your clients reached out and said hey we want to build some sort of machine learning or chatbot even if it's just internal no no interest in that yet no anticipate it is it something you want to get in front of no even you know um and this you know thankfully none of our uh my clients watch me in this podcast but the reason i suppose why i'm employed and my company uh does so well is because the the lack of technological sophistication is so so widespread so um even in the younger attorneys kind of coming up i mean they're starting to get technology the technology natives i guess are there they can use the technology but still they lack the that deep um connection with technology they're, they're not yeah. nerds you know what i mean just because so it turns out just because you grow up with technology still doesn't make you a nerd mm-hmm. you know what i mean um no i think there's this there's this kind of hump that people kind of our age went through i mean because we grew up like we had to fix stuff we had to uninstall and reinstall drivers and load discs of windows and cds and all that kind of stuff so we kind of had that and by the next generation came it was already built you know it's like us driving a car like we don't you know yeah but even in our generation people like I would, we were, you know, maybe you or I were troubleshooting driver related issues. Everybody else was just like, just re double clicking setup.exe, like, and you know, you know what I mean? Or rebooting yeah, yeah. Or, or just like not printing, going to the friend's house and printing, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I see it with my wife. My wife is technology native, but she is just so uninterested in what's ha- what the technology is doing that she, she wields, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we see in our clients. No, nobody, um, they're not even really talking about it, to be honest with you. So, uh, you know, it's just, there's such a lag between Mm. by the time, and and we send out so many, uh, mailings and communiques to, to try to keep our clients, you know, abreast of new developments and things. But, you know, I guess, you know, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're busy just running, doing what you do, you know what I mean? And if it's not your domain, then it's, you know, you don't focus on it, you know? I would think for a, for a law firm, that would be, you know, the amount of documents and stuff that they have to, um, able to search those and query those on some sort of internal chat bot and, and limit what employees have access to and that kind of stuff, I think would be. Well, don't forget, Microsoft is coming out with they they are bundling the gpt in their 365 suite so it will come to them just not by virtue of their they're not they're not pull, pulling it in they're gonna it's gonna be like right pu- pushed in you know what i mean 
Um, so they'll be working with um, AI and GPT in their data set just by virtue of Microsoft. I think it's the uh, they announced it last month. It was called Copilot. Yeah. So you'll be in Microsoft Word and then you'll be able to pull up a chat on uh, chat sidebar next to Word, which I, I haven't launched the desktop version of Word in forever. And I just wonder if I was wondering if I have it yet on mine. It's they're they're doing like a slow rollout of it. But yeah, uh, I have the desktop version of Word. I don't. Did you get I Copilot yet? If you bring up a new Word document. Yeah, I don't um, see it anywhere. Um, I don't see it either. There's edit the editor is on as a sidebar. I don't see anything jumping off my page here. Developer view review. Uh, so I don't have it on my installation, and I'm not sure if I'm. Not, they have these. Microsoft has this thing called the uh, the Ring release or whatever, where you can be on like the fast release of new features. I don't. I don't even know if I'm on that. But anyways, you'll be able to launch, pull up Microsoft Word or whatever, and then I presume it Copilot will be a button or something. Mm -hmm. um, oh wait a minute, there's a coming soon. Visual refresh is coming, which I have on now, and that's it. Oh, nothing on nothing on Copilot. But you'll be able to say like, "Hey, uh, draft me a pleading for whatever, whatever based on you know based on what we have in our data," and it'll. Um, It'll tap your 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 data, and then and uh, it'll be that will be your walled corporate walled gardens that Microsoft's building for you based on based on your data environment. Yeah, um, yeah, I would I would think yeah, especially in a legal firm that would have some definite. Um, trying to think back of you know you go back and you say all right there was a client about ten years ago I think his name was John how old is he now you know, that type of thing, or what was the, what was our summary of that case? I think that would be a, a huge win for law firms. Right. I, I still say that I can't wait for this all to come to voice, you know, yeah. like, I, I don't want to type, like who wants to type into a chat bot? Like, I don't know why anybody, more people aren't saying, you know, this needs to come to voice. Like we have smart speakers all over us. I mean, your phone, the house, the, the, the computer now is microphones. Like I definitely want to just converse with this thing. I do not want to type to it. Yeah, I'm sure that's, and there's different uh, apps and agents, I think that are on top of that already, but there's so many layers they have to build as far as learning the different, you know, dialects and, and that type of stuff, but it, it should be coming pretty soon. I would think. Yeah. So one of the articles that I'll just bring up my window here. I think this is where I'm at here. So uh, one of the articles that I shared was the godfather of AI quits Google with dire warning. Did you mm. see that? I did see that. Yeah. There's been a bunch of those. Every time I pull up YouTube, it's, uh, you know, what's most extreme gets the views. So I think that's one of them. So what's his dire, dire warning? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, obviously he's a mature professional, so who, you know who knows if he quits because of retirement or whatever. But uh, mm. he certainly left on the uh, on the way out. Um, let's see the speed progress. Uh, 
It is hard to quote. It is hard to see how you can prevent the bad actors from using it for bad things. He added that new systems built by the likes of Google and OpenAI have convinced him that the artificial intelligence is starting to exceed human intelligence in some area and said the speed of progress in the development could become increasingly dangerous. Look at how, quote, look at how it was five years ago and how it is now. Take the difference and propagate it forward. That's scary. Hmm. It's kind of funny. Um, He goes on to say profound risks to society and humanity. I don't know. What do you think? I, well, well, this was a this was a sixty minutes piece, I think, and I, I did watch this this clip on YouTube. But but sixty minutes has been all over this. I got to give them some credit. This is at least the third or fourth story they've done within the last couple months. This was sixty minutes. The, what's that? This was from sixty minutes. Yeah, the article says. Um, he said he was uh, responding to the New York Times. Oh, he's responding to a to a, a CBS story in March. Yeah, from from Google. Um, yeah, I guess I saw the interview on YouTube, but I didn't know where it came from. But I think it's it's interesting for somebody who's lived. We don't have a good concept of of time and rate of change and exponential change unless you've unless you've kind of lived through it. And for somebody like him, who's in his sixties and he's, he's seen the rate of change and how fast it's accelerating. It's very easy for him to jump ahead to 2030 because he's, because he's, he's seen seven years compounded throughout his life. Whereas somebody a little bit younger may not be able to fully appreciate the, the rate of change. So I think that perspective is valuable. Um, I think some of the doom and gloom stuff, I mean, we've been there, we've been there before. We've talked about that, about different technologies replacing certain things. Um, but what's different about this technology is it, is it doesn't need humans. It doesn't need us as much as, you know, even something like the atomic bomb, you still needed the human to dent detonate it. So, right. um, so that's probably what's, what's scary is this stuff is running and learning all of the time without a lot of human intervention Mm. Um, but it could still be you know it could still be killed or unplugged so to speak so um i'm not probably as doom and gloom as he is but i think his his voice adds value yeah i mean definitely the guy knows something about something but yeah i don't i don't want to i don't want to speak so so carelessly and and say, yeah, I don't want to be the counterpoint to the doom and gloom, right? I mean, I, I my position on this has always been so far that like automobiles kill 40,000 Americans a year. Right. <laughs> you know, I recognize that. Nobody else seems to recognize that. That's that's a war's amount. That's a small war's amount of people that that technology kills every single year in our country alone. You know? Yeah. Um, AI is going to do the same thing. AI is going to hurt people. It's going to, it's going to take jobs. It's going to cause serious, significant loss. I don't, I mean, I can, I can fictionalize how AI can bring bodily harm (laughs) to humans. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
you know, I recognize that, you know, but the value, the value to humanity at, at a whole, I think is going to be commensurate with, you know, the, the automobile. I mean, it's the automobile internal combustion is destroying our environment. It's heating up our, our globe, but it also in a hundred year stretch was con- a major contributor to that, that, um, that uh, innovation curve, you know, the mm-hmm. S curve, the innovation curve, you sure. know, and we're responding to it. So I guess it's boring. My, my position is probably boring and not fun because I'm not extreme on either side. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, a lot of people are going to be injured from this, but the whole of humanity is going to be propelled forward. Mm-hmm. Step yeah, this, change. Right. The, the scariest thing about it is we don't know how fast it's going to happen. If you end up in a position where there's just mass, mass unemployment, like, you know, we've never had to deal that. We had a little bit of inflation the last couple of years and people went nuts. We've but never wait, had to deal with that. But can, but simultaneously, the mass unemployment is going to be paired with a mass abundance. Labor right. will labor. I mean, if they I mean, if they succeed in adapting division AI to a bipedal humanoid robot, nobody needs to pick the fields anymore. Nobody mm. needs to uh, mow lawns anymore. Nobody needs to wash windows anymore. Nobody needs to deliver groceries anymore. You know what I mean? So like mm. it's mass unemployment, but then it's mass like, uh, you know, availability of time, you know? So right. Now you start talking about this concept of UBI, universal mm-hmm. basic in- income, where, you know, obviously the robot overlords, whether they're human or AI or not, they may be making all the money. But once they make all the money, like, and and you don't have to do anything anymore, the the people will just siphon that back, reappropriate that, you know, somebody's going to get immensely rich for sure. Or some sure. there's there's going to continue to be an oligarchy in some in some form. There will be a small group of people that are just ridiculously rich. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the concept of not working and being well fed and being satisfied and spending your entire life or a significant portion of your life in leisure time, like that it that's what kings and queens did. 300 years ago mm-hmm. and right. for the and you know for the, for the entirety of i guess the developed human race so to speak you know what i mean right now, i think the scary part about that is although it sounds sounds good you're you're not in control of your of your income anymore where where does it come from you don't have the you're not producing anything you're not yeah you get maybe your ubi your you know, whatever, and you get a 3% raise and then somebody runs for office and they're campaigning on a 4% raise. So you vote for that person instead. You don't, you don't have any levers to pull. And you hear this sometimes from, from older people who are living on their quote, fixed income and their, their social security. And there's, there's a mental aspect to, for the first time in my life, this kind of is what it is. I look around and there's nothing I can do to improve my position or change anything. And I got to live like this for another 40 years. But my, um, but my, but my, my addition here is if your quality of life, if you're already getting three squares every, every day, mm-hmm. if you're already cool and warm and your op, your body temperature is optimally managed, your, your abode is optimally maintained. 
Um, so you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about comfort. You don't have to worry about your, you know, your home. Mm-hmm. If you if you want you all you have after that is to spend all of your time contemplating how to improve your your position. So if you want a bigger free home or, or let's say the UBI entitles you to a three bedroom, you know, uh, raised ranch, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and you're like, well, geez, I really want that McMansion, you know, then but but there's no work out there. I mean, I can't imagine anything else that would trigger innovation. And inspiration you, you know what i mean like you've got nothing left but to be creative mm-hmm. creative yeah creative aside from productivity if you're in a if you're in a world where everything is so optimized there's no desire to be any more productive or there's no you know what am i going to create why bother i guess would be the i mean again people are going to be different there's people who retire and love it there's people who retire and hate it there's people who retire and they get bored and they go back to work. There's people. Who, so I think that's probably the closest model we have is, is people, people in retirement and what they do with their time. And um, so I don't yeah. know if 30 year olds would be able to handle that. Right. Right. I don't want to overshare, but I'm just trying to think um, mm. if you had, I mean, I have significant control over my time now and it's been like that for for a lot of years now yeah um i still choose to work in intellectually you know what i mean and i still but it you know and i still like yesterday i mowed my lawn i mowed i, I could pay a guy to mow it but i just like to do it you know what i mean so if is that a is that analogous to what it would be like if you know if you don't have to do something, but you do it anyways, you know, my, like my wife, she goes to the mall mm-hmm. because she just likes to go to the mall. She doesn't need to go like she, if she, anything at that mall she needs, she could just order on Amazon, you know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yet you still do the things. I don't know. Is that, am I drawing in an, and, uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's probably fair. But when it's, when it ends up being a hundred percent of your, my concern is that that you're still, you know, you're still working, you're still working towards and, you know, you're still working towards something that can't be done by somebody else. And you still recognize your value to clients, your value to the community. And your decision to work or not work right now is based on, you could choose, like you said, you could choose to mow your lawn or you could choose to, you know, go in your office and write a hundred e- marketing emails on a Saturday or whatever. Um, but if that option to not do that anymore, when you forced leisure, is that, is, is that a word or a term that you want to, but when you're, cause you're, you're doing something leisurely now because you have the opportunity to do that. But when it becomes the only thing you can do, I don't know if that's, if it's as appealing to some people, again, some people it will be. Right. Right you're doing it to step away from part of leisure right now is the leisure aspect of it but some of it is just stepping away from the work you know how many times do people say i'm going for a walk to just get away from my computer it's kind of like saying like living in paradise uh isn't paradise right right once it's <laughs> once everything is paradise then it's not um, and what's paradise after that what, what do you have well, to i mean forward? it's like when people complain about 
about thing things now or nowadays or whatever and nowadays, yeah. you just want to be like come on man like it now it's so supremely better than it's ever been you know yeah. may 1st 2023 is infinitely better than may 1st 2022 you just don't when you're living in it you don't under i was talking to somebody and they were complaining about um something with like watching the the nba playoffs and they didn't have that game or whatever and i'm like you have like unlimited like you could watch whatever you want whenever you want and like high quality high def right in your living room you could you know it was your parents were listening to the stuff on a radio and maybe they got their local team and that's it and suddenly you get access to thousands of games a year and there happened to be one that didn't sync with your right. cable provider or whatever but it's like you know and that stuff's frustrating because it, it should be fixed right there is a there is a uh, you know there is a mechanism to fix it so when it's not it is frustrating but um, again it's all about perspective all right i mean i could keep going on this but did we did we beat this dead today no yeah probably probably um all right market about- down big today we had another bank failure early earlier this week which we kind of knew what was coming and jp morgan bought that so now you're getting the you're getting the calls for well it's great that these big bigger banks are stepping up but is this really what we're trying to do are we trying to get bigger banks bigger does this kind of isn't this kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do so that's a good first point. republic bank which had been on the brink for uh which was one of the ones that was that was rumored of as being an issue when uh silicon valley bank um failed and now jp morgan stepped in and so they'll they'll handle that but um bigger banks continue to get bigger and smaller banks well, um, continue to have issues let's let's itemize what what you just said um yeah. can you can you take us from the top yeah so first republic bank was a bank a little bit in a similar situation to silicon valley bank so silicon valley bank failed earlier this year when there was a run on deposits some of that warranted some of that probably not but banks aren't equipped to have everybody take all their money out at once or a significant portion of that and they were very top heavy and that a lot of their clients had a lot of the money it wasn't a bunch of mom and pop accounts with a hundred dollars in them it was it was it was big accounts so big accounts with tech savvy tech savvy people so that when they started to move it just it just accelerated a a bank run so what's the uh, for, what's the timeline here though first um was, did, did this happen over the weekend it did they always always happen over the weekend um but they were let me pull up their their stock quote here um, so over the weekend first republic was sold to jp morgan chase right yeah i would yeah sold um because they were because they were because they were on they were at the imminent failure point right 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 so so jp morgan did not assume any of the corporate debt or preferred stock so institutional investors will not be made whole so this isn't some kind of you know bailout thing where people that owned first republic stock um you know first republic bank was you know that was a high of 216 dollars and on October 1st, 2021, and even coming into this year, uh, closed out last year at $121 a share, and now it's worthless. So, um, just goes to zero. Is that how that works? Yeah. Yep. 
Entering the banking crisis at $115 a share, First Republic stock dropped on trading to the stock exchange $3.51 on Monday. I don't think it's trading anymore. Yeah, bring that up if you if you don't mind sharing. So um, in the turmoil set off by Silicon Valley Bank's collapse, First Republic was initially bailed out by the private sector. In March, it received $30 billion in deposits from 11 of the country's largest banks, including J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. But First Republic struggled nonetheless, and its condition had been deteriorating for weeks. It had seen a large outflow of funds as depositors rushed to pull their money and park it in institutions they viewed as safer. I wonder where the money goes from... If you're pulling out billions from a bank like that, where are you parking that? I mean, we're yeah, JP Morgan, all the biggest banks. You're just going from one bank to another, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing too is I'm surprised the run keeps happening on these banks because the federal government keeps telling, keeps pr- protecting the depositors. So why even bother at that point? I know, I know, and that's uh, you would think that that would hold up that people wouldn't want to. You know, it's not when it, when FDIC insurance kicks in, it's not an instantaneous process. So there's still a little bit of hassle there. Paperwork. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, a bank goes out and the next day you have access to your money through a different bank. It's it's still a process. So. So um, are we project 24 months from today? If we were to be if we were to transport ourselves 24 months from today and look backwards, what what's what's in the wake? What what's in the wake from you know what I mean? What's ahead ahead of us? That's I me. Mean, it's a reverse way of saying what's going to happen in the next twenty four months. Yeah, I think it's still very much a um, a very sensitive market, and it could happen at any time to any bank. I mean, you could if you could. Um, I mean, a run look, is a run is a run, right? Right, and it could be started by some influential people on Twitter. It could be a Twitter hack. It could be. You know, something like that happens where money just accelerates. And for people, it's not it's not worth it's just not worth the hassle. There's no there's no loyalty. There's nothing. You don't get any points for. All right. I stuck around with this bank and they made it through. It's like, why bother? You know, if you're with your local community bank, that's that's in trouble. You don't you don't get any points for loyalty. So so and there's no unless you feel that the advantages of doing something locally, which I don't think most, especially on the younger side, people do. Um, One of the issues with Silicon Valley Bank is they would say, you know, we have to have the entirety of your banking relationship in order to give you give you this loan. So I'm not sure how how kosher that is or how common that is. It doesn't doesn't feel right. It doesn't sound anti-competitive. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that could be either. that could be sort of an implicit, you know, if you're if you're borrowing money from a bank, do you feel like you're more likely to get that loan if you have accounts there and and something like that? So if you feel that that there's an advantage to being with a community bank or being with a smaller bank, then then you might stick around. But does it feel does it seem it. a little safer to be with a smaller bank right now? No, definitely not. I wouldn't it wouldn't feel that way to me. So there's just uncertainty across the land or what? I would, I would say so. I don't want to be too extremist, but I I think when just something happens, there's, there's nothing really in place to stop it. You know, if, if, 
can we can we review any open uh, financials of a bank that we might be banking at to see what 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 the uh, the formula for catastrophe looks like? I mean, because I, I I see that these were low interest mortgages that as mm. the Fed increases the the interest rates, the low interest mortgages become less profitable, and then the bank, if they need to raise capital, sell them at a loss, and then uh finish my sentence where am i going with this <laughs> yeah if you're looking for some sort of commonality if you're looking for you're going into the bank balance sheets i think um well, i'm sure ai has scrubbed through all of this stuff and and you can search it but i think what you're looking for is you're looking for banks that had longer term treasuries that invested in um farther out on the curve, so to speak. So what happens is when when rates are very low in the short term, you know, if you get a bond a year out and it pays next to nothing, you're tempted to go out and say, well, I'll just get a bond that's not due for 10 years because at least I'm going to get 3%. But what happens when those short-term bond rates move up, then it's like, well, if I can loan money to buy a bond for three months and get 3%, then why would I go out 10 years? So the 10 year becomes less desirable. And then the value of those assets drop. And then when people go to take their money out, banks have to sell assets that have depreciated and are less than they paid for them. And that's how this stuff kind of snowballs. So I think if you were looking for something, you'd look to see who's got longer dated, longer dated treasuries on their book, right? That they could be forced to sell at a loss if a lot of people want to take their money out. Um, you can look at the loan thing, although that hasn't really come up too much. That That's kind of a legacy of the 2008 you know crisis who who made bad loans that are coming due mm. um although silicon valley that was that was part of their issue too is some of their loans and the people they lend lend money to you know <clears throat> going back to i guess our original discussion on this on this um you know the ai discussion it's like wow we loaned money to this company that had you know 200 employees that was this unicorn startup and they were working on a solution that's now been solved by this newer company with newer unicorn that's got five employees and now we loaned money to this institution this this new company and now that's we're not going to get paid back so um so there's some of that involved too so it all so ties every, together so everybody took their money out of uh of first republic because uh, of la lack of confidence so i think i know where it went How about this segue? Yeah. Tell me if this is a grand segue, great segue. <laughs> Nearly one billion deposited by Apple Card owners four days after the savings account launch. Mm. What say you? So that's a you're you're not an Apple fanboy, so no, I'm I'm not. I mean, that's just a that's a wrapper on a on an existing, you know, Apple's not a bank. They don't have any sort of banking credentials or license or anything like that. So they're, they're offering this high yield savings account. It's paying a little bit over 4%. Um, but it's a, it's a Goldman Sachs savings account that somebody could have bought, you know, six months right. ago or, or a year ago. There's nothing special going on here, I guess, but this is, you know, but this is the Apple brand. This is what they do, right? They're going to take something that's, maybe sort of out there already and they're going to slap their logo on it and people are going to get giddy for it and well, maybe let me, it gives let me, them an extra let, sense of confidence but let me lay it down so apple on april 17th introduced the apple card savings account 
which you had to have, um, I don't know when Apple launched it. They probably say in this, in this article, but, um, Apple has had a credit card for years that they launched a number of years ago. And as you said, it's really an Apple branded Goldman Sachs credit card, right? Line of credit. Yeah. Um, so last month, April introduced a savings account that you can open up adjacent to that credit card. And this doesn't say right at the top, I don't think, but what was so compelling about the savings account is I think they were provide they were offering 4%. Apple is offering 4.15 APR, uh, on the savings account. Mm -hmm. And so this article says when they launched that Apple card savings account, 1 billion flooded into those deposits as a result of that product. I mean, that's, that's pretty fast. That's pretty fascinating onto it on, on the surface, isn't it? That is. Yeah. It's, it's points to the genius of, of Apple marketing and I guess some credit to, to Goldman Sachs for pursuing that relationship and, and getting that going. I, I wonder what the percentage of people who have these type of accounts know who the bank is behind them. Probably less than 5%. Maybe they don't care, but these are still, I mean, these are still bank accounts that are still subject to FDIC and insurance Look limits and things like that. So there are no fees and there's no minimum balance. So the accounts can't exceed the 250 FDIC insurance limit. That's interesting. The competitive APR and simplicity of the Apple savings account will give it an edge over comp competing high yield savings account providers. Getting a higher rate for a savings account typically requires dealing with a digital bank and not many popular financial companies are able to compete with Apple on APR. Citibank, for example, has a 3.85 rate and Discover is at 3.75. So, and Capital One at 3.5. So that's interesting. It is, yeah, that's a, that's a fairly decent decent account but it's um you know it's it's marketing to some extent i mean the rate's good there's no no denying that but i don't think it's anything too special or anything to get super excited about now is they is there a specialized app or something is there something digitally that makes it more appealing uh i think you you manage it in the apple wallet Again, you're not an Apple user, right? So you you have you haven't enjoyed the the wonders of the Apple Wallet yet. <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> um, yeah, that's I I'm guessing that's where you apply for it. So, all right, that didn't that didn't uh, blow your hair back. I thought that was I thought that was pretty. I thought that was a pretty fascinating, in in, in especially in conjunction with the first American. You know, we're having all these runs on banks, which is these are like these sound like 1920s era problems. You know what I mean? Right. Like run, yeah. Runs on banks. When when was the last time a run was on a bank? I don't know. You know, we read about it in in newspaper or in history books and see it in black mm -hmm. and white um, Time Warner uh, classics. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a, a billion dollars in four days floods into the into a new savings product uh, launched by Apple and, and Goldman. I thought that was I, I yeah it's kind of I'll, I'll share my screen here for a second um because i think there's two other um i think there's some other perspective that that matters here uh just uh let's see 
So remember what these are is these are these are spread products. So they're taking, you know, Apple's taking the money in, they're hand, handing it to Goldman Sachs. And then what's Goldman Sachs going to do with it? Well, so they're going to turn around and they're going to invest that primarily in U.S. Treasury. So one month U.S. Treasury is getting 4.47. So what they're going to do is they're going to take your money in. They're going to invest it at 4.47 and then give you 4.15 or whatever it is. So they're going to make a 30 basis point spread on that. You know, they could go out two months and get 5.2. They, so they're going to ladder that. They know that if 1 billion flows in, it's very likely that 1 billion flows out within the next week. So they're going to ladder out these maturities and they have to, they can go out over a year and still make well over what they're, what they're paying for you. Um, and if these rates start to drop the, you know, there's nothing that's guaranteed about that savings account. There's, um, you know, that could drop at any point, but that they're going to move in sync with some of these short-term yields. So, whereas, you know, you could get excited about a, a savings account, there's, certainly other things out there. It's not apples to apples. I understand that, but, but I just want people to understand what those products is, are and where they come up with those rates and why some pay more than others. Mm. And that's why internet banks or things that are more efficient, they're going to be close. They're going to have a higher yield because they don't need to make as much on the spread. They don't have physical locations. They right. Don't they don't have, have the overhead employees and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, right. so that's just a, a spread product there. So, um, all right. Well, this is, uh, I don't know. What do you think? You want to call it a day? Yeah, I think that's, that's probably uh, good. That's another, that's another this week in AI and, and Apple. Uh, no, <laughs> and I'm kidding. savings accounts and yeah. we cover it all. We cover it all. No, we, the, I think the AI uh, bit is going to, that's going to be the, the gift that keeps on giving this show, at least for the next few years. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's moving so fast that every week is so different than, um, did you get a chance to watch that all in podcast? Is that something you're you're into yet or not? I did. I did. And it was uh it was something that I would like. And I think I started listening to it. Um, but I honestly my podcast list is so long now. I've got no, I've got, I know it's really hard. I've got my habitual go-tos, and then if I can get through those, then it's like whatever, whatever's new allowed, you know. Yeah. I did catch Smartless last night when they had Rob Lowe on. You know, it's you gotta have some fun stuff in there mixed in with your learning yeah, and, and work I used, stuff. Uh, Joe Buck used to have a podcast called Daddy Issues, which I used to uh, listen for my co comic relief. I don't think he, they're doing it anymore. Or I just haven't checked in on them lately. Did you ever listen to that okay. one? I didn't. Nope. Oh, it was very funny. Listening to Joe Buck speak um, uh, unfiltered was very funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bob Costas is a little bit like that, too. He's so buttoned up. But when you get him, you know, out of the out of his get him away from the teleprompter is a little more fun yeah yeah so that's good all right i uh i'm eric bjorndorf ceo of evernet consulting we're a, a national based it support uh cybersecurity firm uh, we just launched a digital marketing agency line of business so uh, we now do websites and digital marketing internally uh, if you want to discuss your uh, technology or marketing needs Go to evernetco.com and schedule a discovery call with me. Uh, give us a follow here on Finance and Technology Insights. We record every week on Tuesdays when we're able. And uh, I'll pass it over to you, Brian. All right, Brian Williams from North Shire Consulting. We're a Connecticut-based investment advisory firm. So what that means is we work with 
individuals and small business owners, primarily to set up their retirement accounts, um, work through other financial goals and powering through AI and uh, other tools to make these things uh, happen. So Brian Williams, Northshire Consulting. You can find us northshireconsulting.com, social medias, 401k and beyond. And I guess we'll see you next week. See you next week.